Welcome out to Dallas Comic Show Saturday, everybody. I'm Moises Chuyan. I uh, host a few podcasts among the giant size comics podcast uh, that is geared toward making comics fun and accessible to people. But you're not here to see me. You're here to see these guys. Uh, the very uh, Batman and Superman-ish duo uh, rocking the house over at DC Comics uh, on, on their respective ends of the country. Uh, something I wanted to start off with is how you guys became fans of the medium. You know, what was your way into comics? I, I know that John has a particular cover of Daredevil that's instrumental in his fandom, uh, but I, I don't have that kind of background for Doug. Use this, right? Yeah. That's no. what I, I was told we had to use them. Gotcha. <laughs> so the question is, how did I become a, f a fan, fan of okay. comics? What got you into them? Um, I was five years old, and uh, we lived. My family lived in Pullman, Washington, and my parents rented out a room to a, a rugby-playing college student. His name was Mike. Don't remember the last name anymore. He's a big comic book collector. He just collected Marvel, and. Uh, he would give me his stuff. So I was a little kid upstairs, and he started handing me comics, and there's some really, you know, this is, this is a few years ago. Um, I was a fan immediately and, and just fell in love with it, and comics uh, became the focus of my childhood. Um, that, that's, that's the long and short of my introduction to comics. Spider-Man was my favorite. In fact, um, I don't know if anyone's old enough to remember the uh, what the Aurora statues uh, that they used to make with Spider-Man like sitting on a um, a banister, and uh, so like Mike actually painted a beautiful you know he made the the statue for me and I had that for years until little kids tend to break things. <laughs> <laughs> that the one with the webbing that was plastic as well. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah, that. That it was incredible, cool. and he did a much nicer job of putting together than I ever could. John, the cover of Daredevil, Daredevil number twelve, was that was that the the starting point for you? I mean, you had this stuff surrounding you a little bit. You kind of grew up in the Marvel bullpen, right? Yeah, but that was that was just uh, superhero stuff because my father was doing. Do I need this? Or can you hear me in the back anyway? I'm Italian. I I can probably talk through. <laughs> uh, the I saw my father drawing uh, romance books, romance comics, and I was seven and eight, and who cares about people. Necking. Noted romance comics artist John Romita Sr. And uh, I had been to the, the local barber shop, and in the barber shop was Kurt, Kurt Swan's Superman without covers. It was always ripped up and on the floor. And then there was Metal Men uh, by, oh, yeah. by oh, I'm blanking on his name. He did Spider Man for many years as well. Um, Ross Andrew. And uh, that's the first superhero books I saw, but I didn't pay attention to it because I didn't, it didn't compute that my father was working for the same company. He was doing romance. And then I, uh, he had the attic right above where I, my brother and I slept. And it was always, the light was always on. He never slept. Man was a vampire. <laughs> and uh, I went up, because I, I had a bad nightmare, and the monsters were coming for me, so I had to go up to see Dad. So I pulled down the attic door, and I ran upstairs, and he was working on Daredevil number 12. And I asked him what it was. And he explained to me very patiently what it was, and that this was a superhero. And then all of these guys are going to get beat up by this one guy in the middle. And well, who's the guy in the middle? He's Daredevil. Okay, he's superhero. Explain what it was. And he's blind. And that's it. Everything was on after that. I, my head must have exploded. And he, <laughs> he explained exactly what it was patiently. He must have been tired of working because he went through every explanation about superheroes. I think he was enjoying the break. And uh, that was it. And I, could, I was hooked. And I, he said from that moment on, I sat next to him on the floor and was sketching, and I never stopped after that. So that, conceivably, you could say that was that moment, yeah, that was the turning point. So and he still has that cover, and he refuses to uh, show it to me until he's ready to give it to me and to give it to my son and so on. It's, it's locked in a vault. Locked in a vault somewhere, yeah. I don't think he realizes, since he's not really paying attention to the sale of art and so on, I don't think he realizes... If it's yeah, the value of it, I don't think he, it matters to him. But he said it's probably going to my son, and uh, he says it, when it's time, I'll give it to you. I said you better give it to me. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear about you leaving it to me. Give it, hand it to me. <laughs> Did you have a character like that that you gravitated to, Doug? That that was your character? That was you know your core fandom when uh, you really latched. Spider-Man, really. Spider-Man for many many years and. 
I think the first the first book that really got me was the introduction of the scorpion and it was in I was you know suddenly I was very conflicted because I saw this this guy who had this tail and I was as a little kid I'm thinking oh, I just wanted a tail so bad <laughs> <laughs> but he was the bad guy you know and so it was uh, that was it that was the introduction and I was I was a pretty simple kid when it came to it Love Spider-Man, love Spider-Man, love Spider-Man, and then collected more Marvel stuff along the way. Like, became uh, a big Hulk fan, and um, probably those two were the ones that I was the most regularly interested in. Were Were you both finding your way into doodling and drawing as you were becoming fans of comics? Oh yeah, long before they went I, hand always, in hand. Always true. What did you start out drawing? What do you What do you remember? You know, being your your core your subjects that you gravitated to. Well, before you actually get to draw superheroes because you don't know about them yet, then you're drawing dinosaurs. Are you drawing? I think my grandmother asked me to draw something nice once, and I drew her a bunch of ladybugs. That was the closest I could think of something. That's a nice. great question because I started with superheroes, then got a, a proper education, and he started before, and then went to superheroes. That's an interesting. Uh, dynamic that's a great question thank you so mentoring uh doug you've you've mentored people guys like tom Wynn. yep uh various other you know folks who are superstars pat in their gleason. own right pat gleason yeah uh john you 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 got a little at-home mentoring uh, i got home no he never <laughs> no really you no didn't? my father never mentored me i asked questions this is turning into a therapy session john i'm <laughs> sorry <laughs> no he didn't my father didn't want me to be uh, a cartoonist he wanted me to be an artist but he preferred lawyer or doctor. He said, if you're going to be an artist, don't be a cartoonist. Because look, I don't sleep and I grow you know, beards and, and uh, don't do it. So he said, I'm not going to give you any information unless you ask me a specific question. And I was afraid to ask him because they were stupid questions. So I watched. And uh, if I said, what is that and this, and he would explain. But he never volunteered information. And even after I, I started working at Marvel as, as a window washer, uh, he wouldn't help out. He felt compelled to let me fall on my own because at that point I was being treated like dog shit by a lot of people. And he said, if, if you're going to succeed, it's going to be despite it. And if you're going to lose, it's going to be because of it and you'll learn your lesson. So he said, I'm sorry, I can't help you on it. I said, I didn't have asked for your help. I said, just, I'm curious about how to draw a hand. I said, ah, sorry, I can't help you. <laughs> There's hey, a picture of a hand, so there you go. Just, just get a book and learn how to draw a hand. <laughs> That's funny. Not, not so callous, but basically that's what he said. It's like my, um, so you had an interest in like, my, one of my, well, all my kids have got artistic ability. Um, but I have one that's in college right now, and she wasn't interested, even though I knew she, she loves art, she loves to draw, paint, etc. She wasn't going to go to school as an artist. And I said, well, why not? You know, I mean, it, it never even occurred to me to ask. And she said, because you make it look so demanding, you know? And I, I said, honey wow the, what I do and how I do it and the amount of hours it takes um, don't think that that's what you have to do you know you don't have to do that there's there's the, there is a light somewhere else in the world and and it's it's you know just because I sit in the darkness <laughs> drawing you know and in your cave yeah and <laughs> I never seem to get out too much and I said, you know, those, those excessive hours, that's the business that I chose and how I have to do this it. This is the business we have chosen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a family. Like Don Corleone. It's a family business. That's a family business. <laughs> I just want you to make me proud. <laughs> Senator Corleone, cartoonist Corleone. You know. <laughs> that's interesting. That's a, yeah, Because that's, yeah, that's the very conversation my father had with me about the fact that he wouldn't sleep for three days. Yeah. He says, you don't, want to do, you don't want to do this job. How many 17-year-olds pay attention to their fathers and listen to their fathers? All right, just because you said it that way, Dad, I want to be a cartoonist. I'll show you four yeah, days. That's right. I can do it. <laughs> I, I can do it. That's right. And it's true. We go without sleep, like, it's excessively. And you'd think that we would learn our lesson and, and we would never do that again, which is generally what you think. Well, you all remember school where you would leave your homework until the very last moment, 
we still do that shit. Yeah. <laughs> or editors will do Sunday that. Sunday night, studio. 10 o'clock. Oh, God, yeah. I got a deadline, but I'm horrible. I got five pages due tomorrow. How much test? do I have done? There's a test. Oh, shit. I mean, among those, those various uh, times that you've burned the candle at both ends to get one of these jobs All done. All three ends of a candle. <laughs> <laughs> you invent right. new ends of a candle. Still, and even though we're more experienced than we've learned our lesson, yep. we haven't learned our lesson. We're just better at it than other people. We can <laughs> <laughs> actually, I actually get a kick out of it. Work, if, I don't, if I haven't worked through the night, maybe for a month or two, I, I feel this urge to see if I can still do it. And I don't force myself into it. Uh, in other words, I don't paint myself into a corner. But I will do it just to see that I can still do it and it's not going to kill me, which is pretty stupid because if I die, <laughs> oh my St. Peter's going to say, you're wrong. a moron, go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, were drawing, you were up drawing the prowler? What's wrong yeah, with there you? There you go, yeah. You, you're up here because of what? <laughs> You died at the drawing table? <laughs> Go back to work. Oh, Could have been spending time with your family. So any of those, those particular times stand out to you as something that you were, you're particularly proud of or was particularly rewarding having put out that kind of effort, you know, giving up that, that amount of sanity or stamina? You want to answer uh, first? Th there are an enormous amount of them where I've gotten a paycheck because of it, and that made me happy. In other words, if you don't get this done by Tuesday, we're in a lot of trouble, it'll miss shipping and you're in deep shit, so to speak. And not because I've done some great thing I'm proud of, I did it to catch up to where I was supposed to be. So yeah. uh, it, the rumors about me making every deadline are not true. I've missed my, my share of deadlines. But I've made some deadlines that were f thrust upon me and I'm proud of those moments. And it's not important why. But I'm sure he's done things. You save people's asses more than a few times. It's a very collaborative medium. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's true. I mean. Saving ass is not what you've set out to do, but it's, you know, when it's, it's nice if, if you're the person who can, you know, uh, I don't know, endure this discomfort and get done what you should have gotten done already. On um, the Batman, uh, the Dark Knight, uh, Last Crusade that I did, it was a f the, the, the plot was four months late. And as soon as they got the plot to me, it was, so when can you get it done? Uh, let's see, how about four months after my original deadline? No, sorry, you got to get it done as soon as possible. Thank you. That's very nice of you to say that. It's like on a project when I, and you, you say, uh, when, so when can I get the first script? You know, when is it coming? They say, oh, February. Then you hear like a collective chuckle elsewhere, at, <laughs> you know, in the, in the company, and, and then two months later, the first script is delivered. Well, they don't change the deadline. Yeah. All of a sudden, you have just been butted right up against it. So what could have been a really nice, cushy time for you to, to do some of your best work now, and oddly enough, and I'm sure it happens to you too, is that you'll get that response when you're, when you're working and you've, you've been working for you know, 36 hours or you know, something ridiculous, and you, you actually you stumble around and you, you're unshaven and you open the refrigerator and just nothing computes, and you sit down and you're doing your best work. You're not even... You're just watching your hand move. It's like, wow, this is, this is great, you know. Um, there's no real memory of it, but until you get the call from the editor, they go, I love those pages. Those are That's incredible. a great point. There have been moments that I'll look at, after I'm finished with a, a job, I don't, I don't look at it for about 24 hours, and I go back and I look, and I'm afraid to see any distortions that I may have been <laughs> in it, because sometimes it'll happen. And more often than not, although all the time that I've worked strange hours, long, long, insane hours, those hours that I was working and I was so tired I wasn't really concentrating on, on being detailed or I wasn't really concentrating, I was just letting it go. That stuff looks better than the stuff I was making a better effort at, which means that the first impression is the best impression or the, the first stuff that comes out of you. John Buscema said to me, throw away your effing eraser, you moron. <laughs> he said, don't erase what you first put down. Because generally when you get anal and try to yeah. fix it, it looks worse. Get out of your head and it changes everything you're doing. So the stuff that comes out of us in the middle of the night when you don't have much sleep and you're exhausted, yeah. sometimes looks as good if not better than the stuff that you're really working hard at. Yep, I totally agree. And it, it's mystifying, but that's the way it is. I will, I will have one story about working extended hours. It, like you said, proud of it? No, that's, it's just, it's just what, what happened. But um, I had a... I was working with a friend who's assistant who had spent some time working in comics too. His name's Sean Maul, and I would go to his studio and we'd work together. Generally, he was my, my buffer again. You know, he's the one who's always talking to the editors while I was, we were super busy. I think it was when we were 
was working on uh, The Man Who Laughs, uh, the Batman Joker story. And it was, it was three days. It was three days of being awake. And the only way to do that, of course, is not just through your own internal fortitude. It was through copious amounts of caffeine. And, and nothing illegal, just, just caffeine and caffeine and caffeine. And not a lot of really very good food. It's usually junk and garbage, and I'm just eating whatever sugar to fuel my brain. But it gets surreal after a while because you're sitting there. You know, I think I was doing some inking, and I was standing up for a while, and, and I was having trouble telling if I was awake or asleep. And he had had, we'd been watching, I, I think, Sopranos, again, you know, episode after episode, and he finally put on something different. Um, yeah, binge watching is a big thing that might happen while you're doing that. Anyway, then it got to this, this point, and, and uh, I'm not sure if I'm awake or asleep while I'm working. And he had put on a movie, and I didn't know the name of the movie. I didn't know anything about it. It was just like on my periphery, I'm watching it. And all of a sudden, this seemingly benign movie takes this total turn, just exotic change. I'm thinking, I've got to be asleep. This can't possibly be happening. And I think it was, uh, what was it? Um, it was actually, a, what, from Dusk Till Dawn, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so you guys can see where that, I might that make that mistake. That movie's got something to it, man. Yeah, because it's like, uh, it's, it's yeah. a sleeper. There's nothing all of a sudden. Oh, what is going on? But you remember Selma Hayek. Oh, you? my God. <laughs> Sounds like yes. the entire audience remembers Selma Hayek. <laughs> woke up for that scene alone. I looked over at my friend, uh, Sean, who's, who's sitting there. He's probably doing a, you know, fill in blacks. He looks up at me and he smiles. Then he looks back down. I, I just didn't know what was going on. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's what happens. You know? never, never. You binge watch uh, dramas or serious stuff. I binge watch comedies. I put on, Brit I get discs of British comedies from 40, 50 years ago. And the discs are six or seven episodes for a whole season. Dad's um, Army. That anything. kind of stuff. Yes, I've got that. I've got. Uh, 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 are you uh, last some, of the summer wine that kind of stuff? Yes, uh, that stuff. I have uh, the one about the department store. Are you, oh, yeah. are you being served? And I leave it on, and it'll go an hour or two per disc, <laughs> and I can work with no. Because in the middle of the night, you don't want to listen to news and. and Scott Lobdell walks in. We've got a British comedy. You don't want to listen. In the room. <laughs> British I comedian. Listen to tapes of Jr. That's how you get to sleep. Every there you night. go. <laughs> but, but background noise, I like to hear <laughs> laughter, because I'm so depressed over having. Scott LaBelle in the room with me. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a huge weight to carry, dealing with that guy. Yes, it is. I had to deal with him an hour ago. He weighs a ton. Oh. So, so, you're, so you're, you're, you're steeped in comedies, you're steeped in dramas. Oh, uh, yeah, just you know, whatever happens. That's just what, whatever happens. I tried listening to up. politics, but I, I, I lost too many TVs. I would throw things at the television. <laughs> I you want to build a what? Oh. I'll just keep watching Hot Fuzz over and over again. I've watched it probably yeah. 50, 60 times. Um, so I, I, I'll put on stuff I already know, and then I just, I just hear it, you know, it's just like sitting with an old friend, and um, that, that's pretty typical. Or listen to the same music over and over again. Like, um, when it's getting really bad, uh, you remember that song from the Five Stair Steps, Ooh Child, you know, <laughs> things are gonna get easier. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or he ain't heavy, he's my brother. Oh I'm thinking, my God. somebody just hold me while I'm working. I just, just so I can See, get See, that's why this. I have to listen to, I listen to the blues, but only the up blues. Because the cry in your beer songs will start to, to yeah. put you to sleep. I lost my wife. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys uh, like when working with a writer? You know, no two comic scripts are the same. No two writers, you know, work the same way. Do you like, uh, you know, some of the freedom of working from plots? At times, do you you know like the the structure of having a full script and you know maybe do some some back and forth depending on the personality of the writer? Okay. Um, well, there's, there's two two different ideas. You know, uh, I, full script is great. You know, it's, you know it's because it, it leaves nothing to you don't have to figure anything out. It's just you know all the the things, and you think that given the freedom of a plot, sometimes it would be oh yeah you can just have fun from here. But then you do have to say, if there's a few beats in there, you know, yeah, there's a little bit more thought that has to go into it than you would think. Because you're planning out stuff to, to, to end here and in here and in here. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I, have a, I have a preference for full script. 
I'm happy to work plot, uh, just maybe because I spent most of my career with a full script in my hand. Um, and I've had, you know, a few scripts that are more than a full script, like a, you know, like a Morrison script that's, those are just exotic. Um, and right now, working on Superman, I've had a lot of uh, Pete Tomasu's and Pat Gleason who are co-writing it. I get a lot of plot, so it's um, it's a, it's different. It just depends. Uh, if it's if you're trying to save time, plot not for me anyway. Is not necessarily going to be a time saver because I will put more thought into it than I probably really need to. The stuff that you want to really invest yourself in the most that really means the most to you. Do you like the freedom of the plot? To, to yeah, it's build fun, in more it's, of the story, but it's but it's a whole lot more work. That, right? that turns you a bit more into the into uh, part of the writing, and for me anyway, it, it, it caused me to drag my feet because I think more. Um, you know, maybe you're. Well, I, one of, one of my favorite stories to hear Greg Pak talk about is is from World War Hulk, where he hands it over to you at one point, and you were like, "I got this," and you write these like you draw these four pages of the Hulk just destroying Manhattan, and he just. Gave you the gave you the lead rope and you ran with it, but that's because I started off uh, with plots and I, I go back far enough where that was just plot and nothing else. Then it developed into plot with some dialogue, but I I prefer plot because I know what to do, and uh, the script, uh, unless the writer admits that this is a script, it's it's kind of an amalgam or or a hybrid of both. If you do. If you do change anything, let me know what you're going to what you're going to do, and then I'll adapt dialogue after the fact. But I'm used to a plot, and I prefer it only because I'm used to it. The scripts I've, that I've worked with will be a little bit restrictive in that they'll expect some things that are nearly impossible. So you have to alter. I know he changes something he gets that is. If a, if a writer says I want this image, and it doesn't really make sense, he's going to change it anyway. That's basically him working from a plot, but. If we were not experienced, the writer would tell the, the young artist, the fledgling artist, this is what you have to do. And it can probably drive a young artist uh, to tears because some of them are impossible to do. Greg Pak, a brilliant writer, gave me a couple of instructions on World War Hulk. Uh, he gave me a two-page description of panel one of page six. It, was, it, would, it should have been an animated page. <laughs> And I read it, and I read it, and I'm thinking, great, this is a great full page. This is two pages here. Panel two, the Hulk does this. What? Are you crazy? <laughs> so I said, Greg, I'm going to expand on this. And I gave him four pages. He's right. But it, it started off as just a ridiculous amount of action for one. You know, when a character is asked to make multiple moves in the air, and then he hits the ground, and then he runs from that point, and then panel two, he hits the next character. Let's see, that's one panel. Okay. That's a lot of movement lines and a lot of... So I prefer a plot where I can choose to do things like that. Uh, uh, Man Without Fear, uh, excuse me, uh, Dark Knight, Last Crusade was five pages, six pages of plot, and it was 57 pages of artwork. But it's because Frank and I had done that before, only because both of us started off with plots. Now the stuff that I work with Scott, which is Scott Snyder on All Star, is plot with dialogue. And he says, you do whatever you want with it, but this is what I need in the, in the book. So it's kind of a, it's a hybrid. Uh, only because I prefer, I, only because I had worked with plots originally is what I prefer. That's about it. It's comfort zone to me. And yet, having dialogue in helps you with expressions. Um, whereas if you do from the plot, then they'll have to tell you when this, uh, you have to tell them what I had in mind for this, and you have to add the dialogue after the fact, and expressions may not be there. So there's a give and take. It, it really is pref personal preference. How do you guys handle, uh, you know, brokering the conversation with the writer where, you know, like there's, there's something that, they, you know, they want you to draw 16 helicopters and you just hate drawing helicopters or horses or something like that. How, how, do, you, how do you handle those kinds of conversations? I mean, is that something that you, you try to get out of the way ahead of time? I don't want to draw an F in a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to draw animals. I hate animals. You draw one helicopter part. Really <laughs> big. <laughs> which then obscures like one third, so now you know you got one third down, and then you kind of place another one sort of in the panel over here, then you have a few in the background. I gave you your one helicopter, there you go. It's the I, truth, you find ways to economize. Getting back to what you were talking about, like that, that asking so much out of a panel, like, well, when I first got into comics, the first guy I worked with was a writer named John Arcudi, 
And Arcudi is absolutely a script guy. And this was the mask? No, in fact, it was even before then. It was a little... Oh, the Dark Horse Presents stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even into the mask, and we, we worked this way as long as we were together. And he was a surprisingly really good, um, very good comic book writer. Because he was writing specifically like for the medium without, I don't think, thinking of cinema or anything else. He was writing comic books. And so even though he would give me like detailed aspect, like panel to panel, he'd say character and this, he literally would dictate where stuff was. And it, it taught me a lot about how to draw, you know, and how to tell a story through his eyes. And that was, that's a guy who was like, really like, boom, everything was there. And rarely did he deviate. Uh, he rarely did he leave stuff open in terms of where things, sometimes he positioned stuff on the panel you know, because, you know, he knew the dialogue he was putting in. So he was very detailed. And then, you know, over time, I started working with different writers. And I remember <coughs> working with um, writer Joe Kelly, and we were working on Justice League, or, uh, let's see, we did Action 775, I think it was. And, and I, would call him, I would call him these Fellini moments. Because, <laughs> like, there's just shit There, there were monkeys like randomly. There, Everything's going on at once <laughs> in one panel. Like, he, uh, and it, Trust me, it, as much as I, I liked Joe and I like every writer I've ever worked with, and we were always, for the most part, on good terms, like I, ex, expletives would fly while I'm, how the blank, blank, do you expect me to blank, blank, blank on this blank and blank? And like there's this one where Joe was describing like this giant gorilla, you know, like blocks long, and it's, he's destroyed the city, and then you got guys on the ground, he's describing all the little guys, what they're doing. I'm thinking, Joe, you can either have clarity of what the little guides are doing because in this panel if I show the whole monkey they're this big mm -hmm. you can't show a guy who's this big He's, doing that's exactly, anything that's exactly a problem um, with writing yeah. yeah unless you're doing like Jeff Darrow sized pages yeah no Even but that this is what I'm talking Darrow. about he says he prefers script uh, but you still have to treat it like a plot because the writer will invariably do something like this yeah yeah uh, there are moments that writers, I don't think they're concentrating oh, when they no. ask certain things. Do you guys remember how big the pages are? <laughs> or <laughs> something as simple as this. Now, I, I believe that we're going left to right unless you're in, in, in Israel or, or Japan. <laughs> and, and action should happen left to right, so dialogue should go left to right. Because writers will scream when you have to cross the balloon, cross the balloons. Don't cross the streams, don't cross. <laughs> so when a, when a writer will give, if a writer is sending me dialogue with the plot or if it's considered a script, and they ask you to have the dialogue going on from page to page, and then you have to flip the, the, the room around so that the dialogue can flow, that it makes sense without having to cross all the balloons. I'd like to reach over and reach through a, I want to reach down a, I want, I want to pull his nuts out through his throat. <laughs> Are you crazy? Do you know what I have to do to get, and then you just have to get it done. Like he said, you work from a script, but basically you treat it like a plot because the writer has no concept what they're asking sometimes. Are you forgetting that this guy just spoke after this guy? Yeah. The next page, three other people and they're in the other side. How are we going to do this? And you say this to yourself at two o'clock in the morning. Yep. And then you have to do it. So I, Writers can be pains in the ass. <laughs> I mean, it's you're constantly doing triage at two in the morning. You, you're you're going well. Look, he's not. He, I, I'm sure that he's probably not going to be happy about seven different parts of this. But otherwise, his page is not going to get this, done. The funny thing is, I, I got complimented on it by a, a writer, and I won't mention his name, but he complimented me on the dynamics of how I kept on shifting the camera around, and in the back of the morning, I'm saying, "You assholes," because you couldn't get the direction. <laughs> <laughs> There was the no people, other and the, way. And the people in the panel were saying, oh, mm, oh. And I'm saying, it's because you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> then there are those pages where they say, big panel, all this stuff, and they want this wonderful detail. It's a great moment. Like, oh, this is great. And then you start scrolling through the script, and you realize, they want nine panels on this page. You want a big panel? That's important. And you go through, it goes, wait a minute. This panel is important, too. And so is this one. Which one is going to be the postage stamp? Because you made every panel important on the page. And you try to, you know, then you have to think, well, can I move a few on to the next panel, you know, or the next page? Or can I combine some of these? Because you, you want to have things be, you, you don't want to dump emotional content out of it. You don't want to just, like, have stuff pointlessly. When it's an important moment, you don't want to deny that those characters on the page 
that moment of expression. No, you have to keep the cool. content that they are asking for. Yeah, you, you want have to, to really, you have to really walk a, a, an edge as a as an artist, a storyteller, to give them what they want, to make sense out of it in sequential art. Yeah, and make it look good. And I'm not, I'm not standing, I'm not here up on a cross, but now Scott Snyder but is you a, sort of are a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Martyr is my middle name. <laughs> Scott Snyder, bless his heart, is doesn't has not done this to me. His 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 script and plots are there, and it's there's room. There's two extra pages in each issue. Should it go beyond that? So he's making it, it it's comfortable. But previous writers, accomplished writers, don't seem to have a grasp of the amount of time and space in a 22-page. You need 26 pages for this this script, this plot. Can't do it. Tell the editor, no, sorry, <laughs> can't do it. So you got to squeeze it all in and make one page look more dynamic. And there's a talk page that needs. So you really are doing a lot of yeoman's work. Now, Mark Miller tells people that I do 80% of the work on Kick-Ass. He got 50% of the work money. Hey, this is not fair. I think you need to renegotiate I, that, that great I'm Miller joking. versus I, I exaggerate to clarify. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we, we kill ourselves when you have a writer that's not paying complete attention. It's the truth. And writers are brilliant, but they are they're, uh, as flaky as we are. And well, that doesn't make any sense. They're flaky in a slightly different way. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't pay attention to the, the little logistics that will yep. drive us bananas. I think, I think maybe in some ways it's, it, sometimes I think it might be like um, the influence of cinema on a writer. You know, they're you thinking be. things in motion too much. and They're, they're thinking about things like yes. storyboards rather than sequential art. I, I think they just think of m movement. Yeah. You know, Anything and, can be done. Yeah. When in fact, yeah, it can be, but you understand we have a month to do this, or we, you know, every right. age. Since speaking of anything can be done, tell me what is the most impossible thing you've been asked to draw, and you did it anyway, or the ones that you couldn't do, and then you told them you're an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I got a list of them. <laughs> Boy, I never even thought of that. Some of it is just, some of it was doing things like working on, um, Scraping together the last issue of Final Crisis, or um, actually, uh, it, I think it deviates back towards Morrison's scripts, the little experience I've had with them. And that is that Morrison's scripts are like, he'll talk about stuff extensively, and I have to weed through it and try to figure out actually what he's asking <laughs> for because he's just, he's thick, just, a thick yeah, script. yeah, it's, it's a book, it's not a script, and it just, and he likes to fill your head with what he's thinking but it's not necessarily anything that you're drawing on the page. So you're sitting there just going, oh, what is it that I'm, you know, <laughs> what is this that I'm drawing? You know, so then you have to like sit there with a, a, a marker and figure out, okay, this is what I'm, this is actually what I'm doing and call up the editor and you know, I'm speaking to him. I says, what do you think he wants here? <laughs> How do I draw this image between this and this and this? And the nice thing is that he's also an artist. So if, if stuff, go sideways you could ask him and he'll come up with stuff but like the yeah, concepts of like falling through levels of time and things that are just really kind of esoteric when they get when they get really sort of far out then it becomes an issue of all right I'm how do I draw the piercing of a dimensional barrier yes <laughs> that, that, well, at least it. that now but that could be nebulous you can actually yeah. play with your imagination but there are instances uh, now, Mark Miller and I are, are the dearest of friends, and he calls me names, I call him names. But I can't understand what he's saying. He's from Scotland, so that's, that's not fair. Yeah, he should learn English. Uh, he, asked, he asked me to draw the, uh, the shield helicarrier crashing into Times Square. <laughs> Times Square at, at uh, 5 o'clock rush hour on a Friday. I don't know why he chose that moment. I think because he maybe got stuck in Times Square at 5 o'clock on a Friday in Manhattan. He had some stuff to work out. And he, a fully, fully loaded, fully staffed helicarrier was crashing into Times Square. And not that it couldn't be done. Yeah, it couldn't be done. I said, I, Mark, this is nearly impossible in, within the space of a, the, the confines of a yeah. couple of days. Look how, in fact, look how big the carrier is supposed to be and look how big the street is for that matter. So he back, backed off and had him, look at helicarrier crash into an Iowa cornfield. Which is, <laughs> bless him for that. <laughs> the, but he has done things to me uh, in, the, in the Wolverine series where a, a sentinel's got a million ninjas on his back as it's flying in low to attack the shield people. That's two, two lines of commentary, two lines of a script, 
and probably a billion characters on one double spread. You know, you just want to throw a bomb into his house. <laughs> it's so easy to say it. It sounds eloquent, it sounds beautiful. You bastard, you're going to kill me. And he's done that more than a few times. Interestingly enough, Lanil Yu, brilliant artist, Lanil Yu, yeah, got Mark's ire up, and apparently Mark asked him to crash a satellite into Times Square at 5 o'clock on a Friday. Theme. <laughs> 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 and got true story. And Lanil did it, because Lanil was a young artist. Didn't I, may not have been able to tell Mark to go screw himself. And he did it anyway. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. <laughs> so art, writers can ask impossible things from artists. Definitely. And I think because I've succeeded in a couple of crowd scenes, they feel compelled to see if I can do another crowd scene. They call me the Cecil B. DeMille of, of comics. Oh. <laughs> they always ask me to draw, draw a million characters. That's why Avengers X-Men was thrown on me. And it was nearly impossible to get done the way I wanted to, but well, let's kill Romita. I think it's sheer hatred. Well, you, you bring up these mega crossover events. You know, there's the regular monthly books, and then there is the amount of stress and the deadlines and the timing of these crossover events that cascade across to every book in these respective universes sometimes. Were there, were there experiences that you guys had on some of the events that, uh, that well, that, that were better than traumatic? Oh, I mean, the biggest, the most involved thing that I ever worked on, I suppose, was stuff on Green Lantern. And, you know, as far as, you know, the influence, all I had to do was do my book. More along the lines of how, how did all those un other unfortunate artists and writers deal with these trajectories into their, into their world, you know, that they're working on. And I, I feel sorry for the writers more than ever, the artists, because the writers have got to somehow make things work in the stories that they're doing and, and, um, and, a, and a please the, the, you know, the plot master as it, as it all trickles <laughs> out in its different directions. I mean, artistically, you know, I think I've just been fortunate in terms of I, I don't, I've never, in, in spite of my, my knowledge of what's going on, it, it doesn't come down to me. You know, I'm just, what can I do? I got one pencil, one hand, you know, well, I could have one or the other one, but, you know. Don't tell them you can do that. No, I can't. They'll ask for that every day. It, repeat the question again, because I think I have a story that replies to it. Yeah, did, I forgot the question. It was work, off in working, La La Land. Working on working on the the big event crossover stuff. You know, do you have an experience that is that is better than the traumatic experiences that many artists, many writers that I've talked to oh, better, have? Better, I don't know. I, the fact that I got it done, the, the, the X Men Avengers thing, got it done, and it was relatively palpable, relatively palatable, I should say. That was an accomplishment because it was difficult. But um, I did a, the, uh, an X-Men adaptation of Dante's Inferno in 1980, and I was a stupid young artist, and it was a million little demons and a million characters in it, and I couldn't storytell well enough to, to make it look good. It was decent, but I remember the inker saying, there's too many small characters in this, how could you? So wait a minute, this is, the, this is hell. There's a lot of little characters in hell. <laughs> Uh, it was it was impossible to do. I would like to try it again now that I can actually draw, but at the time it was impossible to do. So one was a failure, one was success, and the success wasn't even that good. The X Men Adventures. I was so frustrated with how many things the writer was asking to do, not the characters, not the character amounts, but the interaction. Like he was saying, from distances, there's supposed to be conversations. Yeah, you've got whole scenes that are happening in two page spread, and it's it's nearly impossible to navigate and make sense of it when a conversation goes on from a long distance, and you're supposed to have a close-up of the two of them, things like that. So he's right, there is frustration. So those two examples, one succeeded and one didn't, and neither one of them was I especially proud of. But now in retrospect that I got through them and I haven't died, I'm very happy. <laughs> I've got a couple more for you guys. I want to get questions from you guys. Uh, you brought up inkers. Uh, inkers, ink I think. Artists. Ink please. artists. Yes, ink artists, color artists, both of them, their respective roles, I think, are tremendously undersung. Uh, you know, people, people like to give all the credit to the writers and the pencilers. Um, you know, Doug, I know that, that you've had some success working with, with Tom Wynn. Uh, you know, John, you've been inked by people. I, the, the list includes people like Al Williamson, who, you know, is heavily credited for his penciling work on his own. What is it for you that, that makes you feel good about working with an ink artist? Well, I think using Tom is just a, an example. Tom and I started working together when he was just a kid. And um, 
his first professional work was working with me, and he went on to do his own stuff. So we worked together for years. And the, the nice thing about working with Tom was the fact that he didn't live that far from me. So we could uh, speed up the process, you know. We didn't have to overnight stuff if we had to. I could just drive it down there and we'd meet halfway. And uh, so we could, we could actually, we did it. I really thought of it as a time-saving device when working with him. And I could also, as he was learning, I could guide his hand a bit and say more directly, uh, ink like this, or let's do this, let's try this. I mean, over the years I've worked with, you know, quite a few inkers. Um, most recently, uh, I've been working with Jaime Mendoza, and before that, Christian Alamy. And one of the things about, you know, an artist, uh, you know, finding a nice fit, there can be a lot of nice fits. Uh, and you, you see somebody work over you and you go, wow, that's, that's like this, that's incredible. I, I give them all the credit in the world that they deserve because, you know, they bring the art to life or and you see another person do it and you're just totally fascinated by their take on it. Or um, I've often worked, you know, like when I worked with Christian for years, Christian and I started working together. We just thrown together. Um, it worked really well. Uh, Christian is, is, he's a Frenchman, first and foremost. He's, and he's, he's, he's an artiste and he's very meticulous about what he does. But that also means he's not the fastest guy in the world. So we ran into a problem for, for quite a few years working on a book where, you know, I can turn around a few pages a day. Christian can turn around maybe, you know, a page every day and a half if he's going really quick. And, you know, so it's finding a nice uh, synergy between you and, and, and another creative person that you guys can work together. Um, you know, and in spite of the fact that that was how Christian and I worked, we, we had... It was Christian and company in general and we, when he was working with me. You know, now um, Jaime Mendoza is a little bit faster than Christian. And I keep asking more and more of Jaime. I gotta start taking out some lines and a little more detail so he has a chance to, you know, do some pages that don't take him so long. Cause I'll get back pages and just go, oh, this is so beautiful. He did everything that I put down, you know? And he, he does it in his own way and in his own tools and he looks so fantastic and I'm amazed by it. But I ask it a lot of an anchor at times. The, the, uh, the ultimate question in my head, <clears throat> not because of what I've experienced with previous ink artists, but do you prefer somebody who adds their art to it or somebody who enhances your, your pencils by just tracing and giving line weights to them? For instance, Klaus, uh, Klaus uh, Jansen gives you yeah. his style added to your style. Mm. Al Williamson claims, God bless him, uh, that he traced over my pencils, which is really a stupid thing for us to believe. You know, come on, Al Williamson. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a better artist than he is liar. He, yeah, and uh, Tom Palmer says he traces, just follows my pencils. Klaus Jansen enhances them, so it's one's an embellisher, and it's an addition or not. And ultimately, it, the, the combination works if the artist is, the inker happens to have been an artist previously. Most of them are. Uh, Klaus Jansen's a brilliant artist. Tom Palmer's a great illustrator. Al Williamson was a great illustrator. Uh, Scott Hanna is a guy who claims just traces, but he adds weight to things. I've been blessed, but I honestly, uh, I, I'm happy with whom I've, whomever I've worked with because they, they seem to care so much whenever I work with them. <coughs> they get the script or the plot. They get it as well as I do. They ask for it, or I tell them I'd like you to read it. This way, if anything, is not, anything I've done wrong shows up, you can help me out. Danny Mickey's working on All-Star Batman, and he gets the, the, the plot as well. Uh, so I've been lucky, and I, to tell you the truth, I would prefer the, the, the addition of the artist to it, which is why I enjoy working with Klaus so much. But I've seen what Danny Mickey does, which is, un, it's incredible how good Danny Mickey is. And I, I feel as if I'm holding him back because he's giving me what I'm giving him. And then he'll say, no, no, I'm, I'm throwing in what I can do for you. And because he doesn't want to say that he's just he's not adding in something to it when he really is adding everything to it. So I'm kind of all over the board. I don't know who to ask for. Somebody asked me who would I prefer to work with. Meanwhile, on Last Crusade, I did pencils and Peter Steigerwald just did uh, just colored over the pencils with just enhancing the pencils with digital enhancement. Uh, and that came out nice. So I can't can't tell you who I would prefer if I had a choice or which style I prefer if I had a choice. I'm just lucky to work with the guys that I work with that have saved my ass on numerous occasions. Well, color artists have 
have been you know overseeing a part of the art form that has transformed significantly over the last 20 years uh, have you have you found that as things have progressed to the full digital uh, side of things as that work is done now that you've gotten stuff back that you know like with some of the great uh, inking collaborations that you've worked on that has just knocked you back uh, that has really blown you away that that added a dimension to things that was that was really you know something something that that was evocative of of the fact that I, I think color artists don't get enough credit for the work that they do when they do they, it really they, well. They're doing it now. They're getting it now. Because yeah. we go back to when it was four-color press. <laughs> you could use it the mic. Uh, there were housewives in New Jersey filling things in. We, you know, we saw dots yeah. and we used mic uh, uh, magnifying glasses. That's how far we go. Which shows how old this guy is. But we... <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the present color artists are brilliant and their tools yeah. are, are brilliant as well. It's astonishing what they can do. And uh, it's, it's the thing that has taken off the most and has become, I, I remember when they first started being able to use these digital effects and different things, and of course, color holds and different stuff. And, it, it, and it, actually, it's, it's nice to find, you know, when, when a colorist can, can use all of these things and yet they don't, you know, the, the artwork still stands. So it, it, I think that's, that's really my favorite thing out of any colorist or any moment is when they don't, they don't override the pencil and it the all ink. The power, yeah. And yeah. it all just kind of, the, the synergy is there and it looks, it looks crisp and incredible and they blow you away with their color palette. Or the guy that I work with that I'm having so much fun with, Dean White, who's been with me for quite a while now, is he's a painter because as ma many tools as he employs with his technology, he still sculpts with the color. And you can see that he's an artist before being a color artist, but he's a painter. And it does, it, 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 it amplifies the art to a great extent. There have been moments when he's gotten heavy uh, and he's been told you're getting a little heavy, you gotta calm down. And generally that will be uh, made worse by dark printing. So there was a couple of issues and he's got told to pull back a little bit. But the fact that he can sculpt figures at the speed that he works is amazing. Whereas back in the day, it was literally brush on paper and then sending that to a separator. And you were at the disposal of some guy in a, that was separating from colors on a piece of eight and a half by 11 typewriting paper with indications of colors with pen, a line. This is Y212, Y2K here. Over, and then it was separated. Now these guys work on a big tab with a stylus. It's amazing. And it's, it's had, everything's improved. That's, in, that's improved the most in the industry, is the color art. I have to follow up asking, uh, any of your work that's been remastered? You know, Walt Simonson has, has gone on at length about the huge process that it was remastering all of his Thor work. Is there any of your work that's been, you know, remastered for color, you know, that, that, that you, you know, feel particularly good about? Uh, that's you know been reprinted of late. Yeah, that's I could use a yeah. lot of fixing the shit that I did when I was younger. <laughs> Take it all, redo it, make it look better. How about fixing the artwork? Can we remaster the artwork? <laughs> <laughs> Just redraw the whole thing, John. Oh God, I would love to. Hey, what, you, don't you feel that way? There's, there's oh God, yes. Go, oh, I just let me do that again. <laughs> <laughs> look, I didn't have enough time. I can't Please. believe this got printed. <laughs> Let's get some questions from you guys out here. I will say one, one oh, yeah. just one last comment about colorists, and they're they're like. Honestly, they're the unsung heroes of comics. Because those guys are the ones who get to compact so much work, and I don't even know how they do it. I mean, they just they, they just knock it out, and it looks great, and it's amazing that I mean, they can do they're it. They're the last one on the line. Yeah, basically. You know, I, 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 anytime they're just, you know they're being pressured incredibly. And they just take it, and they just do it. You know. I agree. Question. Right here in the front. Um, what was the experience of co-creating um, Kick-Ass with Mark Miller? Um, the experience of co-creating Kick-Ass like, like with Mark Miller? Like, how did that work out, like, with the co-creator? We needed a translator. <laughs> He's got a heavy Scottish accent. Uh, the, we'd worked on Wolverine together, Enemy of the State, and we got along famously doing that. And he approached me a couple of months into that, saying, I got an idea for Create Your Own Project. Would you like to do that? Yes, I'd love to. And uh, told me this idea about um, a father and his daughter, which was the, the, the origin of Kick-Ass was originally just, it wasn't called Kick-Ass, it was the father and the daughter. And, uh, and it, it, he, he asked me for some character sheets, and I did. 
And then he said, I'm going to add something called, uh, I'm going to add Teenager to this and so on. And it morphed, and I was working on it. And I, I wasn't sure I wanted to do it. My wife insisted. She thought it was a great idea. So my wife, Kathy, takes, she's not here, but uh, she should get a lot of credit for it. <clears throat> so if you ever speak, see her, say, congratulations, you did the job. You forced him into doing it. <laughs> uh, that's how it started, and we went from there. And then as I uh, worked on character sheets, he was happy with it and said, we really got to try this. Let's just go all in on it. But no pay for the first uh, year on it. So I was working on Spider-Man at the same time, doing this on the side, or was it Thor? I forgot. And then uh, the first plot he gave me was just so much fun, because I get to sl slaughter all these people, and, uh, and all the blood and the gore, and he kept on reminding me, this is not your grandpa's comics anymore. This is freedom. Do anything you want. And that was what it became. It was just a lot of fun that way. And it really got more fun as I went on. And then third issue, he told me that somebody wanted to make a movie out of it. And then my head exploded. And you're going, yes. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> the truth. But it, Mark's, it, it was Mark's idea from the get-go. And then we ran with it together. And he claims I added a lot to it. And uh, it may, may may not be true, telling the truth. But it did morph after we began it. And the fun part of it was that the only difference was that the amount of violence and, and the foul language, it applied to all the storytelling that we had done before. So it just was a little bit of a different level of the same kind of comics we had done before. Just a lot more fun. Thank you. Right there. Um, earlier, in Scott LaBelle, and, uh, they were talking about um, like editors sometimes will tell the writer and the artist to become best friends, and sometimes they will just not have them contact each other at all. What do you prefer, and what's maybe the best experiences like with the well, we don't ever want to talk to Scott Liddell. That's the <laughs> that's that's the number one path to success. <laughs> I think that I, early on in my career, I could guarantee you that editors appeared to prefer to have control over any conversation going back and forth between you and other creative members, and you know that fell apart as soon as we became able to speak to each other, you know. And, and sometimes I think editors forget that we actually know each other and that we talk to each other. And, you know, so there's nobody can run around the end and do anything. It's don't tell if you don't if you don't have, you know, you, you have as much communication with somebody as you want at this point. Um, but, yeah, there was there's was kind of a time when it wasn't I don't know if it was encouraged or discouraged, but it didn't happen. Uh, because the editors were really all that interested, I don't think. Yeah, but uh, ultimately, if there's a personality problem between the two of you, yeah. it may not be in the creative end that's affected. It may not be the creative end that's affected. If you're dealing with a writer who's a social misfit or just a, uh, a crusty pain in the ass, you, you, you look beyond that and deal with the, the job. So you have a conversation with an unpleasant person, and as soon as you get down to brass tacks that you're dealing with a product that's going to pay your mortgages, Either one of you being an asshole is gone. You have to avoid that. And uh, you have to let that work out. So you do talk to each other. Not with emails and, and, and texting and social media. Anything you can communicate easily, no matter where. And Mark and I communicated by email. I could read his emails. <laughs> I mean, not speak English, but he writes it. I'm very proud of him. I mean, he's come a long way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I get along great with all of the guys that I've worked with, and some of them are, are very, uh, they're, they're odd ducks. Uh, writers are that way, and they claim artists are odd ducks. And I agree that we're odd in that we are eccentric, we're strange, but we, we should all get together. Artists and writers are strange, so we should all work together very well. But strange art, strange writers, we think that we're better than them, <laughs> and we are. So. <laughs> well, we know where most of the time spent making comics there you go. comes from. But personality shouldn't have a plane. It should be talent and it should be art. and That should out. It should out. Heard of me? Different both of y'all. Because y'all do comic all the time. Do y'all make a lot of family get together? Like Great holidays? Do you, does it affect your personal life? And do you miss a lot of family get-togethers. Thanksgiving yes. get canceled, birthdays get moved off the calendar. I worked the day that my wife had our son because she was scheduled for a c-section. She had to be in the hospital at 8 o'clock. She said bring your, your lap board. The delivery was going to be at 5 in the afternoon. 
And she said, bring your board and sit next to me. And if I scream, you do something. <laughs> those, those are, are Those are pretty you clear instructions. If, I, if I'm in pain, you go find me some uh, medication. So I sat there with a lap board the day my son was, was born. And Did I'm sorry? Did you hold the baby? I did hold, hold the baby. Yeah, yeah, my you, wife you, used the story against me. He worked the day that I had the baby. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you, you remember what job him. it was? Do you remember, do you remember the job? It was a um, Spider-Man job. It was a Spider-Man issue. So you'll never forget that. I, no, feel, forget I feel guilty buying all those Spider-Man issues now. <laughs> I feel bad. It's all right. I, <laughs> I, yeah, I've worked most every holiday I've ever had. I've... Um, in fact, it, probably the worst story is I had a bunch of pages I had to ink for something. I think it was Black Adam, this miniseries that I did. <coughs> and it was on my anniversary, right? Ooh. So here, bear, bear with me for the second. <laughs> so, no, we're it's, feeling it's, your pain it's already. A, that's, it's a frightening that's what story. That is. So we get in the car. They get in the car so my wife and I are just going to sneak away for a couple of hours, have dinner, all right? And we're heading south towards my mother-in-law's who's going to take take care of uh, the kids while we're while we're out and we get rear-ended at, at uh while i'm waiting to make a left turn get rear-ended at, at uh about 40 miles an hour all right and i just saw just by the grace of god i saw in my rearview mirror these two terrified looking faces so I, I knew there's a car that's way too close to me so i hit the gas so at least i got a jump on it we move forward we have uh it's catastrophic. Um, my 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 seat broke, and I flew back and I hit the head of my oldest daughter. So she's hurt. She has to go to the hospital, and I um, I have to work. So this first thing that happens, I have a concussion. I got blood pouring down the back of my head. My daughter is going to the hospital, and all I can think of is. I need to go work. That's literally all I thought. This sounds terrible, but I'm thinking, I need money. You know, who knows what's going to happen if she's, I'm going to go make hay, you know, while the sun is shining. So uh, I, somebody takes my kids. I, I get them in the car. My, I can actually still drive my car. Uh, the ambulance takes my wife and my oldest daughter away. I drive home. Somebody comes and picks up my kids, and I work all night. Now, it's a crazy story to say that, and that's, that, but that is typical of how I worked, because you don't get a paycheck unless you, know, you work. Unless you work, and, commission. And you I'm don't thinking, pay the hospital bill unless you work. Right. So I'm thinking, unless I got my ass in that chair, I'm working. So I spent all night. I think I inked seven pages, um, and then, uh, you know, didn't think the smoke cleared. You know, and my editors get their stuff, and you know, I'm I'm happy for a few days, but that and my my daughter's okay. You know, it's. But you haven't been the same since. No. <laughs> but it, it's, it's an absurd story, but I bet you it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's an no, extreme. Right. But people really do in this business push themselves to the limit because that's just what we're trained to do. We've missed, that, we've missed occasions. But then again, because of the, the, uh, the lack of boundaries in the job, you can make occasions where most people can't. Because if you work through three or four days, to get the deadline that you should have met, that, that had extra time. No, when you get in early, you get a couple of days to do something. But I've missed some occasions and I've made some great occasions. It's also, uh, you can't account for certain things. My wife has had 44 operations since her car accident. She's been in hospitals more time, in emergency rooms more time than I can count. And uh, she'll wake me up in the middle of the night saying we have to go to the emergency room, bring your board, we're gonna be there a while. And we'll sit in the hospital for, for 18 hours or something like that. So the, the life that we are in does al allow you to be, yeah. uh, to massage your way through things, but it does interrupt things. We've missed some, in the middle of the night, we'll get a call that, you know, that from somebody that the deadline is this and you've got to get it done. Um, sorry, honey, I can't go see your mother tomorrow, that kind of thing. But I've worked Christmases, I worked Thanksgivings, you eat, you go sit upstairs, and everybody understands it. It's part of our lives. Uh, anybody that complains about it, I'm sorry, nothing I can do about it. You want to see your daughter get you know, get her clothes on the next day. She wants the, this outfit, she wants to buy you something. Shut up! 
It's <laughs> a great question. Uh, a few months back, Jim Lee tweeted a picture of a cover that he was working on in the bathroom while on vacation <laughs> with his family. And there were, the first responses were all like, no, that's not real. on the sink. Yeah. <laughs> Honey, what are you doing in there? I'll be out in a minute. I'm just... <laughs> Baby, baby, I'm just drawing Scooby-Doo on the toilet seat lid. I, um, you know, you have, you have, you know, there's a lot of people that want to do what we do. In fact, they'd love for us to just probably die right here. They'd open up two spots that weren't available. Because um, there's, you know, at the, at the, at the level, the, the upper level of the profession, you know, there's so many people working. And there's so many people that want to be working. I wish everybody could work like that. But you know, you, you try to help young people or old people if they happen to be trying to get in, and a lot of them have just no idea whatsoever the level of commitment that it means to be an artist in this business. Um, I had a, I had a, an assistant, a guy that I met at Minnesota College of Art, Minneapolis College of Art and Design. He was in the comic book program, um, and he uh, so he was their more promising comic book guy. And so he came to my house, or to the studio actually, that I shared with Pat Gleason. And within one week he says, I know I can't do this. I'll never be able to do it. I said, why? He goes, I can't believe how much you guys work. I can't believe that you can sit there. I'm thinking, sit there? All I'm doing is sitting. I mean, I, you know, I might sit for eight hours, but eight hours is never enough. You wish that eight hours, could, <laughs> you could get more work in there. How many um, hours do you put in a week? How many days? Did you stop counting? There's no dictated day off. Um, you know, I, like you said, you know, if you work, you can get your days off. Um, I probably work seven days a week. That's, I, we work seven days if we have to. Yeah. If we get it done in five days, we take it two days. But yeah. I'm on a seven-day allowance. I tell my wife I have to be able to work any day of the week, any time. Yep. And 18 hours a day because you need to get a certain amount of pages done or work done each day to make a deadline. And if it's one page in one in one hour or one page in twelve hours, yeah, we have to get that page done. And there's a lot of times when you sit down, and you think, "All right, I got these four pages; should be easy." And you get done with, and, and you know, you get that twelve hours, you go, "Wow, that was one page." <laughs> what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> I've gotten uh, sat down and looking forward to the page, and the easiest panel in existence took me all day because I couldn't get it right. So I tap danced around it and did other pages and came back to it. Maybe three days later, I got it right. The easiest and then the most difficult panel or page will be easy to me. There's no rhyme or reason to it, but you have to. And as John Buscema and Jack Kirby, when I was a kid, told my father almost derisively, you're too slow. What's the matter with you? <laughs> How could you only do one page a day? We do six and seven a day kind of thing. And, and I remember John Buscema asking me how many pages I did a day. And I said, I'll probably do a page a day. He says, Are you, can you pay your bills? I said, I'm only 18 years old. What do you want from me? I don't have a job, really. I'm doing this is to make some extra money. He goes, when you have a real job, come back to me. He's got a cigar in his mouth. And he says, throw away your, your eraser and put down the first thing that's on it and do two pages a day, not one. Okay. To them, it was easy. They're machines. But there are days when you can't. I'm sorry. I can do three pages. I did five pages in one day once. I did one panel in two days once. It really depends on how you feel, the amount of tequila you had on a Sunday night. <laughs> yep. I blame tequila half the time. Are you guys going to drive today? No, but I will have some tequila, though. <laughs> <laughs> so well, let, me, let me close it out with, with, with one of you guys. You've both drawn so many of the top of the top tier franchise characters. Are there any, I don't know, maybe C-list, D-list, underappreciated characters that uh, that you think haven't gotten their due that you would you would you would love to you know just do do a little mini series uh, characters that maybe meant something to you as fans or that you know you got to get to do in you know a couple of issues or something uh, just something that's visually striking interesting to you that isn't something that you've done a hundred times no I mean uh, <laughs> basically we've done it all is the no, answer because how could I how I when I think about all the stuff that I've touched over the years, because I've, I've really have worked exclusively for DC for almost 22 years. I did one Marvel book in 22 years. Name it. Anybody? It, it, you I'm, failed I'm me. really happy if you can't name it, because I'm not really <laughs> proud of it. Right? It was a Silver Sable issue. Maybe the Silver Sable is what I should be doing. But, you know, I, I just got to do so much, and, and you know, 
things have come up and I, I've enjoyed doing it all one way or another. Um, you know, is there the, the dream character out there? No, not really. It's, it's, I just enjoy doing the stories and working with creative talent and, you know, expressing it a certain way. I suppose if I, uh, somebody I'd like to work with again in terms of a character is, I really enjoy Plastic Man. And um, he's just a lot of fun. And with the right story, he's a great character. And that's, that's kind of hard to do with some characters like him that are, you know, people kind of consider a, a, a side note or a joke at this point, or he's just there for laughs, because it's not necessarily the case. Uh, he, he has his own history, and he's really cool to me, and, you know, it's fun. And he's really stretchy. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's, you know, someday, I can't say when, you know, I'd, I'd love to do some stuff over at Marvel someday, but I'm still very happy at DC, so... Yeah, I mean, drawing Superman's no uh, no slouch, Joe. No, he's 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 an important character out here. He's. <laughs> <laughs> if I had a choice of doing it, another character, it would be Doctor Strange, first, because I had an idea for him for quite a while, and then, out of sheer emotion, the very first comic book page I ever saw on the bottom of the on the floor of that barbershop was Metal Man. It was the very first thing I ever saw, mm. and next to it was was the Superman by Craig Swan, so Kurt Swan. And uh, I think I would like to try either one of those. I hear Diane Nelson is really hot on the metal men. Is that right? Uh, maybe, I don't know. Well, technology says they can make anything now, so that would be an interesting visual. But those two would be something I'd like to try. Cool. Let's hear it for Doug Mankey and John Amita Jr. Said, you're going back. You're going back to your table. Yeah. You've got. Uh, There's a bottle of tequila on my table. I am not <laughs> drinking it. I was kidding. 